0: In my freshman year of college, I memorized a song in Italian. Caro mio bene, credi mi senza vitae. And let me tell you, I have no idea what those words mean. <laughs> and that's because memorization is not enough when we learn something. We have to understand what it is we're saying. And that's why we're taking these three weeks to go through the Apostles' Creed, so that we understand the significance of the truths that we affirm each week, and to see how these statements summarize the essentials of our faith as Scripture teaches. Now, last week, someone asked me a really good question. What is an apostle? And that's a great question. Um, An apostle is a messenger. And in the context of Scripture, The apostles were messengers of God sent to proclaim the message of the gospel. So, for instance, Jesus' 12 disciples were apostles. Paul was an apostle. And they preached the gospel for the very first time where it had never been heard before. And the Apostles' Creed summarizes the things they taught, although the Apostles' Creed was not written by them. The first section of the creed that we talked about last week deals with God the Father. The second section we're talking about this week deals with God the Son. And when we say in the creed, I believe, we are saying, I trust that this is true. I put my faith in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the creed continues by saying, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. I trust in Jesus. Now that's crucial because without trusting in him, we would not be saved or be able to be made right with God. And here we affirm that Jesus is God's son, the Christ. Now Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. It means anointed one, Messiah, Messiah. We're saying that Jesus is the one that God promised to save us. And the Father himself makes Jesus' identity clear when he speaks at Jesus' baptism and transfiguration. Mark 1.11, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Mark 9.7, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son, listen to him. And of course John 3:16 tells us that Jesus is God's only son and he came for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so when we're saying that Jesus is Lord, our Lord, we're saying that he rules and reigns over our lives. He has the ultimate authority over us as his followers. Acts two thirty six says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You see, we submit our thoughts, our words, our actions, and our attitudes to the Lord. When there's a conflict between our ways and his, we choose his ways. That's what we're called to do. And in doing so over days, months, years, maybe even decades, we realize that his ways are and always were better. Mark 8, 34 to 35 tells us a little bit about the cost that comes with following Jesus. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If any would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. We follow our king wherever he leads, even if it means great sacrifice because he did no less for us. In our confirmation class this past week, uh, someone asked a great question. They said, if someone from another religion, trusts in Jesus, but their family threatens to kick them out of the house if they follow him, what do they do? What, what happens? And this was a very real thing for Sandy Richter, who became a Christian as a teenager. Her father told her to either change this new attitude of hers, her newfound faith, or to change her address. And she explains, In the naivety of my new faith, I trusted God and chose the new address. And so I found myself essentially an orphan at the age of 16. And God navigated what by all assessments were impossible circumstances for my good. First, God found me a new family. At the very last second when I was prepping to move into my car, I was invited to go live with a family that I babysat for, for years. These people became my surrogate parents. I was able to finish high school. When God made it clear that I was to go into ministry, these folks drove up every fall to my little Christian college for Parents' Day. And it turns out, between my deceased mother's Social Security benefits, a janitorial job at a local office building, and an RA position, I was able to get through college. Following Jesus is costly, but he will always sustain us. And whatever the cost there is to following the Lord for us, he is always worth infinitely more. The creed goes on to say, I believe in Jesus who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We read in Luke 1, 34 to 35, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so here we affirm that Jesus' conception and birth were supernatural. Because Mary was a virgin, And virgins don't give birth apart from divine supernatural intervention. Now, you'll notice that it says conceived by the Holy Ghost in the creed. Holy Ghost is just an older version of saying Holy Spirit. One thing we want to keep in mind, though, is that Jesus didn't come into existence on Christmas. He has always existed. John 1, 1 to 2, or John 1, 1 have John 1, to 1-1 in here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God the Son always existed because he is fully God. He was there before time began. But at his conception and birth, he became fully human so that he, as both God and human, could bridge the gap between humans and God. You see, we could not rise up to God. Our sin tethered us to the ground. So instead, God came down to earth to bring us to his side. John one fourteen says, And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, can we just stop there and say, like, how amazing that is? I mean, really think about this. God the Son took on flesh and blood. He had no obligation to do that whatsoever. It's like a king surrounded by solid gold everything, the best food, the the best clothes, uh, tons of servants, willingly choosing to become homeless and penniless for the sake of others. The God who has no needs became one who needed food, clothing, and shelter. Who endured pain, heartache, suffering, grief, betrayal, and injustice. And in doing so, made a way for us to be saved by his death and resurrection. And this is something that God did out of extraordinarily, mind-blowing love And grace. The Creed continues to say I believe in Jesus who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He, though completely innocent, was on trial for his life, beaten, and sentenced to death by and during the reign of Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea, in a trial that reeks of injustice. In 1 Corinthians to 8 Paul tells us um, about some of these things. He says, "Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried." that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now Paul lists the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as of first importance that they are the essence of the gospel message. And so why was Jesus crucified, dead, and buried? Well, verse 3 says it was for our sins, meaning that he took the punishment our sins deserve, that he died in agony by crucifixion, the most shameful and painful punishment known to humanity, suffering not for his, his, suffering not for his crimes, for ours, for the punishment that our sins deserve. The price of sin is death. So grievous against the holy, almighty God that it costs a life, and yet instead of our lives, Jesus offered his own for all who would trust in him. I want you to imagine that you are on trial for murder, and I hope you never are, but just imagine it for a moment. There's zero question that you did it. You're guilty, and you're going to get the death penalty. But right before the judge slams down his gavel, someone who committed no crime, no murder, says, Your Honor, I volunteer to take his place. I volunteer to go to jail, to sit on death row for years, and to be given lethal injection in the place of this murderer. And you, the murderer, walk away free and alive, an innocent man willingly condemned in your place. Now that would be insane, right? You'd have to be out of your mind, someone would have to be out of their mind to do that. And yet, isn't that very much like what Jesus did for us? That our sin against God was great, and yet he took that punishment for sin on himself, and in doing so, declared us, innocent, and righteous. That's the love and mercy of our God. Romans 5, 6 to 8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The creed continues. He descended into hell. Now, this is a bit of a confusing part of the creed because Scripture does not communicate to us that Jesus uh, descent that Jesus was in hell between the time of his death and resurrection. But what happened is that he did endure what hell was—the pouring out of God's wrath upon himself, upon his. Uh, God's judgment for our sin. And so he experienced what we will never have to experience. The abandonment of God the Father. And he did that out of love for you and me. The third day he rose again from the dead. And this was a supernatural event that declared powerfully that he is who he says he is. It affirms that we indeed are forgiven by God. We are restored to him. Because without the resurrection, there's no hope. But with it, we know that sin and death have been conquered. That we are reconciled to God. We are declared innocent. And that we too, one day, will be raised to life as Jesus was. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Luke 24, 50 to 52. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. About 50 days after his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven. He is there now, a physical human being, And God, he's fully God and fully man, in heaven, never to die again. And Hebrews 1, 3 to 4 tells us that Jesus, after making purification for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. He cleansed us from our sin, he made us pure before God, and then he sat down at the Father's hand. He's reigning there with the Father. And I just want to make a clarifying remark. We always say he sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty what we mean by that is not that he is sitting on like literally on god's hand it's mean he's like on the right hand like to the right of him i want to clarify that because many times i've kind of wanted to laugh at that before i realized oh it it means like at. so for anybody else that felt that way we've, we've remedied that okay so from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead this is the last part of uh the section on jesus The brokenness of disease, murder, betrayal, grief, death, pain, they do not have the last word. From heaven, Jesus will come again. And at his second coming, he will judge both the living and the dead. That's what quick means, by the way. It's just an old way of saying living. Revelation 21, 1 to 8 tells us this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, this is sobering. There is a day of judgment for all of us, living or dead. And there are only two options. Those who have trusted in Christ, who have had their sins erased by him, we will dwell with God in a new heaven and a new earth with him where all is set right. But those who have not trusted in Christ, their sins still remain on them. And so they will have to pay for their sins sins themselves though they could have had their sins forgiven by christ you see there's there's no middle ground with god when we reject jesus as if it's as if we're saying no thank you jesus i'd rather take the death penalty myself it's like not grabbing onto the hand that could save us from falling off a cliff because we don't like the person who's holding out their hand. Now remember, we all deserve God's negative judgment. None of us are better. The only thing that changes us is trusting in Jesus. As Lord knows, none of us earned our way to salvation and forgiveness. What we know though is that we trust in Christ. We need not fear. God's negative judgment, that him out of his love has made a way, the only way for us to be rescued, and he did it by great cost of his own life. And if you don't know Christ, I encourage you to come to him and find his forgiveness and grace, because his love will transform you and it will make you new. And so in this second section of the Apostles' Creed then, we really are affirming, I believe in Jesus Christ and I believe in all he has done to rescue me. And so friends, embrace it, live it, rest in it, and in about two minutes, celebrate it through communion. Let us pray. Lord, you are incredible. Your love is unfathomable how you have chosen to become human and endure injustice and death to save us who don't deserve it. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We pray that we would remember who we are in you, that we are forgiven. We are free. We are loved. We are your children. And Lord, for all those that don't know you, we pray that you'd help us to be a witness that shows what your love is like. We thank you for all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.